0: and Future Tech Health podcast. I have a great guest today, uh, Dr. Thomas O'Brien. Uh, Dr. O'Brien, he's considered to be the Sherlock Holmes uh, for chronic disease. He's able to really dig deep and figure out uh, in a lot of cases what the underlying causes of uh, someone's problem is. You know, strange and unusual or difficult to diagnose problems, problems that other doctors would say, you know, they throw their hands up. That's one accolade that he has. Uh, he has a recent book out called "You Can Fix Your Brain." just one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. Um, Dr. O'Brien has tons of accolades, tons of activity in the area of health, and I can't really describe it all, so I want to introduce him and thank him for coming. So, Dr. O'Brien, how are you doing today?
1: Hi, Rich. Doing
0: really well, thanks.
1: Thanks very much for the uh, opportunity to be on your podcast.
0: Yeah. Well, if you would tell listeners and me, um, why are you not just your normal run-of-the-mill doctor? What made you decide to dig deep and to figure out what's really going on with people and to go in all these other positive directions versus just, you know, be a run-of-the-mill doc.
1: Well, it started with my first week in my education, in my medical education. Uh, There was a poster that said Dr. Sheldon Deal, Mr. Arizona, was going to be talking just off campus, uh, a student's welcome. So I thought, all right, this guy's a bodybuilder, Mr. Arizona, you know, I'm I'm into health. I'll, I'll go check this guy out. So this was 1978, and color televisions had just come out. But so He had a color television in the room and turned it on, but turned the volume off. And you you look and you know you say, oh look at isn't that cool? I mean now it's it's everybody takes it for granted, but it was a great uh, interesting thing to see back then. And uh, uh, he walked over to a desk and opened his briefcase, took out a bar magnet the size of an iPhone 10, and He held the bar magnet up in the air, the way a police officer holds a flashlight. You know, they hold it up close to their head and shine it down in the direction they're looking. And he walked over to the color television. The picture went upside down. He walked back away from it. The picture went right side up. He walked back towards it. The picture went upside down. He walked away from it. The picture went right side up. And he said, that's what electromagnetic pollution does to your brain and your nervous system. It's called neurological switching. When people write six and they mean nine, when they say right and they mean left, you know, when, when there's a switching mechanism going on, it was one of the first indicators I was ever exposed to that electromagnetic pollution can affect your brain and your nervous system. And this was 1978. This was my first week in my medical education. You know, in all the basic courses that I was taking, this guy, opened my mind up that there was so much more than than what I ever imagined was possible in healthcare. So that, that got me true. that yeah, that, that got me looking in another direction right away. Shortly thereafter, about three weeks after, there was another guest speaker, um, a guy named Dr. Kirpal Singh from LA. He's a three H O guy, one of those Kundalini yoga guys that wears the white turbans and but he He came to talk about electroacupuncture by Boll, B-O-L-L, and he was talking about this German doctor who had done the research on measuring the energy in acupuncture points with this instrument, and then the computer would tell you um, what the activity or lack of activity in particular acupuncture points would, would suggest in the body in terms of one's health. So it was early artificial intelligence, if you will. And once again, 1978, and he gave the story of a woman, 43-year-old woman that came, a 44-year-old woman that came in to see him. She'd been recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And he scanned her with this instrument. And he said, well, Mrs. Patient, you had a high fever when you were very young and you almost died. uh, And the virus settled in your pancreas. And throughout your lifetime, you've had problems with low blood sugar and your blood sugar yo-yoing up and down. And it kept damaging your blood sugar stability until now at 44 years old, you've developed uh, adult onset type two diabetes. And she said, well, doctor, you're right that I've had blood sugar problems my entire life. And this whole thing about hypoglycemia, and I've had those kinds of symptoms on and off for years and years, but I was never sick when you were, when I was a child. He said, yes, you were. She said, no, I wasn't. Yes, you were. And she said, doctor, I know my health history. He said, is your mother alive? Yes. Handed her the phone, said, call her. Hi, mom. I'm at the doctor's office. Everything's okay. But he said that I was sick when I was really young. I was never sick, was I? Oh, honey, you almost died. You had a 105 fever and the doctor was out of town. We put vinegar socks on you, and we put you in ice water to try to calm you down. This guy's machine identified that 40 years later, and this was oh. 1978. So I'm sitting there with my jaw dropping as I'm learning <clears throat> basics about health function, and you know this was my introduction to a much bigger picture about healthcare, and it's morphed over the years and developed to the point to where in my new book. You know, uh, you can't fix your brain. I talk about the four categories that you have to look at for any health condition. It's a pyramid. Right. Now, we think a pyramid has three sides, but it has four sides. There's a base. That's your structure. Hmm. You know, that's the home of chiropractic and massage and pillows and how you sit in a car and your shoes worn down so you're, you're walking at an angle. All those structural type, types of things that can cause most any disease. Then there's the right. biochemistry. Um, we all know about biochemistry, what you eat, what you drink, the drugs you take, the vitamins, the air you breathe. Then there's the emotional and the spiritual. And then there's the electromagnetic. So any health condition leads, needs to be looked at through the four lenses of, is there an electromagnetic problem here? Is there a biochemical problem? Is there an emotional problem or a resistance? Or is there a structural problem? Hmm.
0: So when you, uh, I'm not sure if you're seeing patients today, but when you've observed this process or you go through this process yourself, you know what are some examples of things that you've observed from people and you know, that were surprising to you or surprising to them?
1: Oh my goodness! Uh, people who have been to every doctor that they could think of, every holistic doctor, and they've tried many many approaches and gotten a little better, get worse, got a little better, get worse, and they really dialed it down. It's so very common to see. The missing link is something in the emotional or spiritual realm, the area that nobody wants to go. no one wants to go into that that area of our defense and what we um, what we um, bury or 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 put a compartment around or what we hide from uh, uh, that's very common to see and we had uh, uh, ten people that. Uh, came to spend a day with me, and we did a mastermind on helping to dial dial down. And these these were not my patients; uh, these were people who followed me online and Facebook and all that. And we did a mastermind day, and four, five, five, five out of the ten who had dealt with mold infections, or dealt with chronic fatigue, or dealt with Epstein Barr, or dealt mm-hmm. with uh, breast cancer. Uh, whatever their presenting symptoms were, five of these people had an emotional component that came out within ten or fifteen minutes of asking a couple of questions that was buried so deep inside of them that it, it terrified them to look at it on their own until they um in this setting and with this experience they realized oh this is this is a weak link for me. This is the emergency break. And I often say to patients, patient Have you ever backed out of your driveway and you said, hey, what's wrong with the car? It's not going very well. I mean, you're backing up, but it's not going very well. No, wait, wait, wait. The emergency brake's on. And you let the emergency brake down, and then you just go backwards with the ease that you expected. There's some emergency brake that's stopping people who have dialed down and done their very best to take whatever they needed to uh, action, whatever action they needed to to get healthy, and they haven't gotten healthy yet there's always an emergency break. And so the big picture view for all of your listeners is that we have to take a step back and look through four different lenses and see, is there an electromagnetic component? Component? Do you have the alarm clock on the bedstand next to your bed? That means it's a foot and a half from your head. And if that alarm clock is leaking electromagnetic pollution, you may not be sleeping very well, or you may be suffering from depression. With the alarm clock on the other side of the room, and we've had a couple of cases where people 's depression went away just by reducing the electromagnetic pollution they're being exposed to okay um, I was going to
0: ask you what are some examples of you know emotional emergency breaks and what can you do about them? What did oh the people goodness. do about them
1: well you know um, uh, when you were a child, and I, I use this example a lot um uh, When you were a baby or a toddler and you start crying, mom runs into the room to see what's wrong. And if there's nothing wrong and you're crying, what does she do? She gives you the breast or she gives you a bottle or she gives you a cookie. And then we stop crying. So we associate emotional upset with oral gratification. You have a weight problem. We may have to be looking at how you're burying whatever emotions are coming up with oral gratification. It may be that a bird flew by the window and you saw it just it scared you, right? But mm. we, get, we get trained early for oral gratification, some of us, oral gratification for emotional upset. So for some people, not everyone, of course, but for some people that have a weight concern, and they've tried everything that they could think of, and they yo-yo. They lose weight, they gain it back. They lose weight, they gain it back. It may be some emotional issues that got buried deep from when they were a child that they haven't yet dealt with. Okay,
0: well, uh, I mean, weight and emotional issues. I can see that makes a lot of sense. But other conditions, uh, they may not. It may not make sense that there's an emotional hold back there. So maybe some other examples of you know someone that had major health problems and. Maybe one of the causes was emotional, and how would you resolve such a thing?
1: Oh, sure, sure. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's take a, a patient that came in with Hashimoto's thyroid disease. Uh, that's mm. when your immune system is attacking and destroying your thyroid. And okay. uh, your, thyro- your thyroid is the, the – receptor sites are like catcher's mitts. The pitcher throws the ball to the catcher. And receptor sites sit on the outside of your cells facing your bloodstream. The way hormones get into your cells is that they go through the receptor sites. The receptor sites are the doorway. So thyroid hormone will go into a thyroid receptor site, uh, like the pitcher throwing the ball to the catcher. It unlocks the door, the door opens, and thyroid hormone goes inside the cell. Estrogen will not go into a thyroid receptor site. It only goes into estrogen receptor sites. Testosterone only goes into testosterone receptor sites, insulin to insulin. All the hormones go into their own receptor sites. There are only two receptor sites on every cell of your body. As far as we know, there's only two, every cell, which means every cell needs these hormones in order to function. Those two comp- compounds are vitamin D and thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone is the thermostat on the wall that controls the temperature of every cell of your body, how hot that cell works. We call it your metabolism. Thyroid controls your metabolism, how hot the cell works. So when people have an an imbalance in thyroid function, they often are running cold, if I can use that term, which means possibly weight gain, uh, low pulse, sluggish uh, body, uh, uh, a sluggish mind, uh, an attitude towards life. It, it can be uh, diagnosed depression. It can be just an I don't want to or not much motivation. Uh, certainly, um, I said weight gain. is a very common one. Those are symptoms of thyroid imbalances. Those are common ones. There are many more, but those are common ones. So a person comes in, And they've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroid disease. The immune system is attacking their thyroid. So the question is why is the immune system attacking your thyroid? What's the trigger? And that's the goal, obviously, is to find out. Well, it turned out for one patient that she was always, she felt that she was always suppressed by her older sister, a sister that was two years older. Every time she tried to be excited or uh, her memory was her older sister dominated her and suppressed her. So she had to shut down her emotions. And you know, she never realized that consciously. It's just that she didn't quite have the get up and go to do what she may have wanted to do in her life. And when we looked at the emotional side and this came up, it became crystal clear this woman had to deal with whatever that emergency break was of the message she developed to survive from her older sister when she was a little child, how to survive. And she went to a therapist. She worked on that a year, year and a half later. I don't remember how long it was. She came back. We redid her blood test. The thyroid antibodies were down to normal. Her Hashimoto's disease was gone.
0: Just from emotional therapy?
1: Exactly. Exactly. One of the sides of the pyramid of health. Sometimes that side of the pyramid is the pyramid that has to be addressed, the primary side that has to be addressed. And so you want a, you want a therapist uh, in that situation who works with uncovering whatever the messaging is that your brain took in and set your operating system to. And then the therapist who can empower you, create the environment to where you empower yourself actually, To develop the new you, whatever you see as your visions and your goals and what floats your boat and where you want to go in your life. But the first step, you know, you you can't put nice icing on top of a bad cake, right? You got to go back and find out where's the emergency break? What is it that's held you back? And many uh, um, in our full day mastermind, five out of 10 people, the primary emergency break was. Uh, the emotional side of the pyramid of health. It's pretty common.
0: Do you run into a lot of people that will get chiropractic, that will, you know, have a good diet, that fix, you know, most of the areas, but the the emotional still just prevents them from getting anywhere? Or what do you see as, uh, you know, what do you see people do do to try to fix themselves and, you know, what's missing and what's maybe a better path to, uh, to evaluate these four parts of the pyramid and and fix yourself? Yeah. um,
1: I think, uh, my personal opinion and the message that I try to give to the world is usually, for the most for most people, a paradigm shift is required. I'm going to give you an example of what a paradigm shift is. There's this guy, a microbiologist in Australia, 1984. His name is Barry Marshall. He writes a research paper and he says, you know, I think that sometimes ulcers are caused by a bacteria, sometimes. Well, he was just slammed. I mean, all of the gastroenterologists and microbiologists said, what an utter nonsense. Everybody knows that ulcers are caused by too much acid in the stomach, eating away at the stomach lining, and that you have to take the antacids called the proton pump inhibitors to um, uh, take care of an ulcer. Everybody knows that. And so what he did was he did an endoscopy. You put a tube down your throat into your stomach. He took a picture of the healthy pink tissue of his stomach. Then he drank a beaker of solution of bacteria called Heliobacter pylori, H. pylori. He drank a beaker of it, waited a few weeks until he was really sick with abdominal pains, did another endoscopy to show the pictures of his ulcerated stomach. Mm. Then he took the antibiotics to kill the bacteria waited another few weeks, and took another endoscopy and pictures of his healthy pink tissue stomach. Then he published that research, and then everybody knew that he was a nutcase. But he proved what he was doing to the point that 21 years later, he wins the Nobel Prize in medicine for this. And the Nobel Prize committee says, who with tenacity and a prepared mind challenged prevailing dogma. Our current healthcare system does not work. If you just look at the statistics, the World Health Organization rates the United States number one in the world, number one or number two, every single year in healthcare technology. We have the most sophisticated, most expensive healthcare technology in the world every year. And every year we're ranked in the bottom five of 58 industrialized countries in healthcare effectiveness every year. Hmm. But nobody publishes about that in the newspapers. But just read the stats and you'll see, you'll see it's accurate. So we have a healthcare system that doesn't work. So, my goal for all of our listeners and all of the readers of our books is to challenge prevailing dogma. You have to challenge the prevailing dogma that you've been raised to believe what good healthcare is. You just have to challenge it. How? With a prepared mind. How do you prepare? And then with tenacity. That's why the subtitle of my book is just one hour a week to the best memory, productivity and sleep you've ever had. It's not some cutesy title. It's that this information that you're about to be exposed to is so overwhelming. There's no way to implement this. And you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So you allocate one hour a week, Tuesday nights after dinner, Sunday mornings after church, whenever it is, but every week you allocate one hour and you're going to implement one point from the book, one point for your, to increase your health or the health of your family. For example, when you learn that plastic storage containers leach phthalates into the food that you put in them. You need to stop using plastic containers. So what does right. that mean? It means that, all uh, right, so in the book, we talk about go to mileskimball.com or go to amazon.com and look for glass storage containers. And then, okay, look, I like the way those look. Oh, I like those more. And okay, I need three round ones and I need this size. I need a couple of square ones. I need a pie dish. And, and so you order your glass containers and you pay for them. It took you an hour. You're done for the week. But next week, you do the same thing. You allocate an hour for one more point on the checklist. And now for the rest of your life, your family is not going to be poisoned. It's a subtle, slow, accumulative poison, these phthalates, by storing leftover chicken for the next day in plastic containers. So it's one hour a week, every single week. And within six months, you've got this down. That's the only way I know for our patients to be successful in the big picture. Yes, you can get rid of some current complaint, like I've got headaches. Okay, we'll help you with that right away. But the question is, why do you have headaches? Where are they coming from? And we have to get the emergency brakes off, which means that we have to have tenacity. We have to be looking in in this arena doggedly, keep learning more, learning more, and prepare our minds. To challenge the dogma of how we've lived our lives so far, because the stats are not good they're just not good as to what our future is
0: well i I could say this would be you know i i it's a double entendre triple entendre i don't know a hard pill to swallow for for people that aren't feeling well and they have a headache or they have migraines, but you know what do you do with someone that uh they've been told they have terminal cancer or they have cancer and they're just you know their mind is awash with fear and you know maybe they've been told maybe they don't have long to live or they have a year to live or I mean who knows but they're just they have a gun to their head really good feeling what do you do with them and how do you you ever convince them to do anything but let's say chemo and radiation or listen to what the
1: doctors say really good point really really good question so the first thing is comfort of course help them to be comfortable in the midst of uh, what they're doing you know or what they're suffering from But uh, for the examples he just gave, I refer them to a couple of the summits that have occurred in the last couple of years online. Chris beat cancer. For example, my friend Chris Wark interviewed dozens of practitioners all over the world who have protocols addressing cancers from a much more comprehensive point of view. And then many, many patients, I don't know how many were in his summit, um, who testified, look, I had stage four colon cancer and I did not do the surgery, I did not do the chemo, and that was nine years ago, and here the person is today, you know, so you hear lots of testimonials, and um, um, the truth about cancer is another one that's uh, interviewed many, many practitioners, and um, they teach you about what kind of questions to ask so that you can make more informed choices as to how to approach this terrible diagnosis that you've gotten. Uh, it um, I um, had the privilege of being on stage recently for Fran Drescher's event, Cancer Schmancer. I was one of her keynotes, and so three weeks before that, I uh, uh, interviewed her on my own Facebook Live, and uh, so it's on it's on Facebook uh, at our, our site is dot Com, dot Com, and if you go to all the Facebooks, you'll find the one with Fran Drescher there. She's a great woman. I just have much, great respect for her for what she's doing. So she came on and I said, Fran, thank you so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure to meet you. And "Oh no, thank you. It's my pleasure. <laughs> you know, and she did that yeah. laugh of hers. that just makes you laugh right away. Right. So I'm laughing a little bit. And then I said, uh, Fran, my first question to you, a woman is diagnosed with cancer. Mm. Or with rheumatoid arthritis or some other devastating diagnosis. What's the first thing that you recommend to them? The very first thing. And she looked into the camera for about, I don't know, 15 seconds. I mean, I swear it, it could have been an hour. It felt like an hour. She's just mm. staring into the camera, you know, and she says, Someone broke into my house and raped me at gunpoint. And you could have heard a pin drop a thousand miles away. Yeah. I'm from Brooklyn. I'm tough. I could handle it. Two days later, I'm back at work. I didn't tell anybody. A year later, I developed uterine cancer because I never dealt with the emotions around the trauma I experienced. You must deal with the emotions when you have a devastating disease, and that started our Facebook live. (laughs) Whoa! And so, Fran, after that, she founded Cancer Schmancer, and her entire purpose of this nonprofit organization is to make available to the world the concepts of functional medicine. And I'm on the faculty of the Institute for Functional Medicine, which is why she reached out to me. And so her message is saying the same thing that our message is saying, is that you got to deal with the big picture. Sometimes it's emotions. Sometimes it's biochemistry. Sometimes it's structure. You have to deal with the big picture.
0: Well, all right. Um, Not everyone can see you. Yeah, You'd be so busy that you'd, you know, it would be impossible. So what what do people do if, you know, they're in some city and they have a significant medical problem and they want help, you know, they can they can read your books of course and everything, but what if they feel like they they're just compelled to work with a doctor? Can they you know, how do they find a doctor that's not going to just throw pills at them or want to do surgery? How do they find uh, is it just a functional medicine doctor or is it beyond that that you're saying that people really need to look at if they want to look well, at
1: That's a really good question. And and the first thing I recommend is read the books. Um, I've got two books on this type of approach. The first one's called The Autoimmune Fix, um, won a National Book Award. And the second one is this new one called You Can Fix Your Brain, Just One Hour a Week to the Best Memory, Productivity and Sleep You've Ever Had. So when you read the books, you understand some of the big picture questions that need to be asked and you implement some of those things right away, like get the plastic out of your house. Stop using saran wrap. You know, get uh, Stop ordering your coffee at a coffee shop and walk out with the plastic lid on that leaches the phthalates back into the hot beverage because the steam condenses on the other side of the lid, drips back into the coffee full of bisphenol A. And for those lids that are now BPA free, they're using bisphenol S, as in Sam, BPS which is more toxic than BPA. So you, you, you learn some basics, but also in both the books, we talk about where do you find a practitioner that knows about this stuff? And that's always the challenge. But if you go to the website for the Institute for Functional Medicine, that URL is functionalmedicine.org and look for um, certified practitioners in your area. And there's now a few thousand, I believe, around the world. It's a three and a half year training. So if they're certified, if they pass the certification process, and it's a pretty rigid exam they have to take, if they pass that whole process, chances are pretty good that they're excellent practitioners at helping you go upstream. So what does the term upstream mean? I think this is a really good, another vision for people to have that helps. Patient comes in with a diagnosis of diabetes. Or hmm. recurrent miscarriages or breast cancer. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. They come in with this diagnosis. It's like they've fallen over a waterfall and they've crashed into the pond below. They swim up to the surface and <coughs> you know, spit out the water. It's like, oh god, thank god I'm alive. And they're trying to stay afloat in this pond of diabetes they've just been diagnosed with, or this pond of recurrent miscarriages. They're trying to stay afloat, but the water's really turbulent because the waterfall keeps falling into the pond. You're still living the lifestyle that caused the problem. So your, your body is still in this turbulent pond. Now, the first thing you need is okay. a life jacket. The first thing you is a life jacket to stay afloat. So great, you know, you try the natural approaches first if you can, but if they don't work, you take the drugs whatever the drugs are that your doctor says you need, you take the drug, you have high blood pressure and you try the lo- the natural product, doesn't work. You take the drugs, don't be silly. But you don't mm-hmm. stay in the pond with the life jacket of taking the drugs. You stay on the drugs if you need them, but you then swim over and get out of the pond, walk up the hill, walk back up the river and figure out what fell in the river that carried you downstream and over the waterfall, you crash into the pond of diabetes. That's called going upstream. That's why every functional medicine practitioner will do an extensive questionnaire. I want to know what was your mother's health like during her pregnancy with you? Was she on any medications? Was it a natural childbirth or was it a C section? Because that makes a huge difference in the microbiome of that baby and the trajectory of that baby's gut health for the rest of their life. It makes a huge difference. And so you and you, I want to know, how many prescriptions for antibiotics did you have in your life? And what were they for? What other medications have you been on? Do you notice that any foods you eat make you feel good? Are there any that you kind of want to go to sleep afterwards? or um, you, you need an extensive history to identify the possible emergency breaks. And once you get the emergency breaks, then you dial down with the right functional tests. So let's give a concept about functional tests here. Mrs. Patient, there's two ways to measure the temperature in the engine of your car. I'm from Detroit originally, so I talk about cars. In in one type of dashboard, the hot light comes on, and if the hot light comes on the dashboard, you know you have to pull over very quick, or you're going to blow that engine up. So you you, you're just going to have to pull over. In other types of cars, there's a temperature gauge, and the temperature gauge will start to climb towards the red zone before you overheat and start destroying the engine. We had a 1986 Chrysler minivan back in 86, and my wife and I, and the two kids, young kids, we were driving back from Michigan to Chicago. I lived in Chicago at the time, and it was a 90-90 day, and uh, uh, I, uh, 90-90 day, 90 degree temperature, 90% humidity. And I had the air conditioning on, doing 70 down the highway, kids in the back seat playing some game, listening to some music. And I saw that the temperature gauge was starting to climb. I just watched it, and within about 10 minutes, it's hugging the red zone. I said, oh, no. My wife said, what? I said, no, the engine's overheating. <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but what did I do? I turned off the air conditioning, slowed down to 55, rolled down the windows, all to take a load off the engine rolled down the windows, and we made it home without the engine overheating. The temperature gauge came back down a little bit into the safe zone. Listen to the kids complain about how hot it was and how noisy it was in the car, you know, trucks going by and all that. But we took preventive action. So there are tests that are called biomarkers. They identify what's going on before the hot light comes on and you're diagnosed with a disease. So once you identify which um sides of the pyramid of health you need to explore from a uh, comprehensive history, then you determine which biomarkers you want to check. Is this out of balance? Is this one out of balance? I mean, my favorite patients are patients that come in and they say, I've been to Mayo Clinic and they don't know what's wrong. And I'll say, that's great. Congratulations. And the, They think I'm a nutcase, you know. But I say that means you don't have a disease because if you had a disease, Mayo Clinic would find it. You've got dysfunction; something's not functioning right. So the tests we're going to do are different. We're going to look and see what's not working quite right now, as opposed to what disease do you have right now. And then when they come back, you know, for their second visit, everybody's a little nervous about test results, you know. And they're sitting there, they're a little apprehensive. And I'm looking at these tests, and I look at the tests, and I say. Good news you're a mess look at all these problems and <laughs> they look at me now and I'm laughing it's because every one of these is correctable so you got okay. elevated homocysteine we'll, we'll get that down within three weeks well, maybe, maybe you should say
0: uh, maybe you should say good news you're you're a correctable mess that might make them. that's feel better. correct yeah you're right
1: you're right <laughs> but you know that's the approach we have to take that's a functional medicine approach and we've grown up believing that if you get one diagnosis you take one drug and that drug's mm. going to suppress the symptoms but you're still in the pond you're still living the lifestyle that caused the diagnosis whatever it is you have you 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 got to get out of the pond you have to figure out how what is it in my lifestyle that set me up to have this body dysfunction like this
0: well how often do you um have people tell you, or do you work with people and they, they figure out, okay, they have had some kind of emotional trauma in their life, but uh, they can't fix it, or they just don't know how to fix it. And yet they still have this condition or disease or problem. Like, what do they do from there? Like, how often when someone really, figures out possibly what the answer is, what, you know, how to close the loop and fix themselves?
1: That's really a good question. And uh, my father died suddenly uh, uh, at 64. Uh, massive heart attack, no one had a clue there was any risk, uh, uh, very traumatic. Now, my ex is a Jungian analyst. You know, there was Freud and there's Jung, a Jungian analyst. So we'd been married for 23 years at that point. And so I knew enough that that kind of trauma in my life would impact me in a negative way, subtly, but I'd start developing some emergency breaks unless I got smart and dealt with the loss of my father and the trauma from the loss of my father so early. So I said, all right, I'll give five guys a shot. So I interviewed therapists, because I knew I was gonna have to deal with this trauma, and I'm a kind of a um, tough guy. you know. I grew up in Detroit, did mm-hmm. martial arts, and lived in a martial arts school, world headquarters in Tokyo. I was a dashi and blah, blah, blah. You know, but I knew I'm a hard nut to crack. So but I knew the process worked because my wife had been working with people for over 20 years and the results were really impressive. So I said, all right, I'll give it five guys, five different therapists, but I'll give, I'll give each therapist three visits. So it doesn't matter if I like them or not, I'll give them three visits and these will be people that were recommended to me. I'll give it three visits. If I don't feel I'm in the right place, I'm out of there and I'll go find somebody else. It was, it was the fifth person. In the first visit, I knew I was in the right place. And I worked with that person for about a year, dealt with the issue in a very healthy way. I grieve my dad often. You know, I'm sorry he's gone. And I miss not having more time with him. Uh, now as, as a father, now I'm a grandfather, I would have loved to talk to my dad about some of these things, you know, so there's loss there, but it's a healthy loss. And that's part of life. But I knew I had to go through the process and for me, it was eight months to a year or something when I found the right person. So if, if any of your listeners say, all right, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'll go find somebody. And you find somebody, you'll know within two or three visits if it's the right person or not. If you feel, if you feel that, boy, this I don't like this process, but it doesn't matter if I like it. It feels right to me. It's got to hmm. feel right in, in your bones. You, you have to know <clears> it's right. And in my practice, I recommend everyone to Dr. Silva Dvorak, D V O R A K, and she does Skype consults with people all over the world. I mean, she's the best uh, at this because her whole emphasis is on empowering people. And you might want to have her on your show. She's a NYT okay. best-selling author and all of that, blah blah blah. Uh, but uh, you you just stay focused. I'm, I'm going to find the emergency break. I'm going to find the emergency. But if that person as a consultant, can't help me do it. Therapists are just consultants. If that consultant isn't the right one, I'll find another consultant. But you stay in the mm-hmm. process to find the emergency break.
0: Uh, I mean, uh, is there ever a situation where there isn't one, and it's just a uh, you know
1: a purely mechanistic fix or uh, you know a medicine type fix? Uh, I think um, medicines are often critically important to use. Uh, but that's not my world. Uh, of prescribing for that or treating that directly, um, so I'm, I would assume sometimes it's more difficult than others. But I've not had that experience. Um, uh, I think I don't know of one person that we've worked with that didn't get results as long as they followed the plan. And that is find the right therapist and uh, uh, ask these questions. And I, I don't know of one that didn't get results from it. But
0: I'm sure it happens. Well, Okay. Well, that's great. Well, um, I don't know, uh, any questions that you get from people that have either surprised you or common questions that you think we haven't talked about that we really need to talk about, you know, things to bring up? I mean, I think we've covered quite a bit, but uh, anything happens out there right now that still really surprises you or, you know, something that we haven't, again, that we haven't spoken about that we should bring up?
1: Oh, thanks for that. Um, there, There's one point that uh, people feel, so many people feel helpless about and they don't know what to do, so they ignore it. And we just can't ignore it anymore. And I'm, I'm going to tell you two studies, one uh, and just two studies. The first one's from the World Wildlife Fund. They published a study three years ago that between 1970 and 2011, in 41 years, there has been on average a 58 percent reduction in populations Of all species on the planet with a spine, all vertebrate species, all insects, birds, fish, mammals, the overall average is 58%. For the birds, it's 35%. For mammals living near fresh water, it's 78%. 78% of the beavers are gone. The porcupines, they're gone in 41 years. They're gone. Why? Because they're drinking the water. And if you were drinking the water coming out of the streams or out of the rivers by your home, you'd get cancer quicker. You'd be unable to reproduce, just like the animals. Second study, they did a meta-analysis. That's where they look at many studies on one subject between 1974 and 2011. So that's in 37 years, same time period almost. The topic was sperm count in healthy men. Not infertile men, healthy men, sperm count in healthy men. What did they find? They found that there is a 59% reduction in sperm count across the board with everyone.
0: Mm.
1: All men, that's you, man. Every male, the average is 59% reduction in sperm count for a guy your age in 1969 compared to today. Now that doesn't mean anything to anyone until you learn that scientists worry about extinction of a species when there's a 72 percent reduction in sperm count—that the species can't populate anymore, they can't repopulate—and we're at 59 Mm percent in 37 years. What do you think is going to happen in the next 20 years? That we're—we've got our heads buried in the sand about the toxicity of the world we live in today, and we're looking for a pill to help us feel better. While we're sucking phthalates in the air from the plastics that are all around us, just look around the room you're sitting in. how much plastic is there in this room
0: mm, everywhere yeah uh,
1: ex- and look look at the um the the reports in whatever city you live in as to how much mercury's in the air how much lead is in the air? what about arsenic in the rice uh what about cadmium yep that this world has become so toxic, every newborn child in America today that they test, every one has on average 180 toxic chemicals in their bloodstream at birth that aren't supposed to be there. And many of them are neurotoxins, they affect the brain and brain development. Just read the science, You know, I, I, I read the science, and just drops my jaw again and again. I'll give you one example of that. They took 330 some women, pregnant women, urine analysis in the eighth month of pregnancy. And they they group them by quartiles. So the lowest quartile in phthalates in the urine, the chemicals that mold plastic, lowest quartile, next quartile, third quartile, and highest quartile. They followed the children of these pregnancies for seven years. Every single child in the mother's Of of the mothers of the highest quartile of phthalates in their urine compared to the children of the mothers in the lowest quartile, every single child from the highest quartile, their IQ was on average seven and a half points lower than the children in the lowest quartile of phthalates in the urine of their mom. Seven and a half points is huge. One point IQ change is different, it's substantial and noticeable. Seven and a half points is the difference between being a B-plus student and being a D-plus student. It's huge. And it's the phthalates in mom, because she's been exposed to all these plastics, affected the baby's brain development in utero, and the results were noticeable seven years later. That's the kind of stuff we're up against, is the extinction of the planet, of humans on the planet. And I, I know I sound like a, a, apocalyptic and I never thought I'd be this way. But when you read the studies, it's like, wake up, people, wake up. Well, we've always used plastic and it's okay. No, it's not okay. Well, you know, we've always had a little bit of lead in the air. It's okay. No, it's not. Just read the science on what happens and you it's so overwhelming. That's why it's one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. You just spend an hour doing a deep dive into this stuff, read my books, an hour a week, and you start making small changes. I'll give you one more. When you pump gas, when you fill up your gas tank, sometimes you can smell the gas. You're smelling benzene. Benzene is a neurotoxin. You smell it, it's killing brain cells. You don't have to get sick when you smell it. It's killing brain cells. Why is that happening? Because you're standing downwind walk around to the other side of the hose and you're standing upwind, you don't smell it anymore. That And that makes no difference when you do it one time. But if you fill your tank once a week, 52 weeks a year, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, now you're talking about saving some brain cells. And that's the way we have to start thinking is about the toxicity of this world that we're living in and how it's causing the dysfunction that's causing the increase in autism you must have had people on talking about the the unbelievable rise in autistic kids in Alzheimer's yeah, it's, it's huge yep. yeah 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 it's shocking yeah in Alzheimer's so what, in our brain so what what do you what are you supposed you know
0: how do you not uh, have people freak out and say you know oh, it's EMF pollution there's uh there's plastics that are affecting me there's air pollution problems there's you know what do people do instead of freak out how do they take steps Exactly to right
1: man exactly mitigate such a good such a good question. That's exactly why it's one hour a week. That's all you do is one hour a week. That's manageable and you don't freak out. And if I say to you, Mrs. Patient, it's going to take you about six months to really get a handle on this, to stop the inflammation in your brain and stop killing off brain cells and create an environment to regenerate healthier brain cells. Are you willing to do this for about an hour a week for six months? Are you willing? And everyone would say yes to that if they think about it clearly. Now, if you want to do two hours a week, you can, but you can't get overwhelmed because if you do too much and we all want it all right now, we are a culture that wants it now. I want it now. Now, I want to be well now. I want to feel better today. And we've grown up that way. It's killing us. So one hour a week is what you do. You apply this protocol, just learn a little bit more, implement one little thing. For example, with the coffee shop thing, you have to go online and order stainless steel coffee mugs. And then when you're driving to work, you go into the coffee shop with your mug and say, fill it up, please. Hmm. And you buy four of them. Why do you buy four? Because you're going to buy one. You're going to go get it filled up. You're drinking the way to work. You go home and you bring the mug in the house and it's in the kitchen. You rinse it off. It's in the sink. And you go to work in the morning. You forgot your mug. It's still in the drawing rack in the kitchen. Well, I need my coffee. So you get coffee and you got the plastic lens again. So you get four, and you put and you put them in a bag in the back seat of the car. Why in a bag? Well, if you're like if you like
0: me, my my wife used to make me uh, coffees in a glass, and and after like two months, she went into my car and pulled out like twenty glasses. I- exactly. <laughs> it's,
1: that's exactly right, man. It's, but that's why they're in a bag because if they're just on the floor in the back seat, you turn a corner and they click into each other and it's a real noise. They did, yeah,
0: they did.
1: Yeah, but by the time there's three or four of them in the kitchen sink drying off, you put them back in a bag and put them by your shoes by the door. So in the morning you go out to the car, you take them with you. You teach yourself these little habits. This is what it takes to be successful is changing the lifestyle. The definition of crazy is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. You've got high blood pressure and you're gonna take the pills for high blood pressure, but you keep living the lifestyle that caused the high blood pressure. That's crazy. That's crazy. You've got to change the lifestyle. You have to get out of the pond, walk up the hill, go back up the river and figure out what the heck caused this in the first place. And that's where you start making the changes that are lifelong changes. Well, very good. Well, I, you know,
0: I I really appreciate having you on. Um, We're at the end of the time. Can we reiterate the resources for listeners so they can take the first steps and uh, work on getting themselves improved, figuring out what's wrong with them?
1: Yeah, you bet. Um, I I don't know what they are. My staff put this together, man. I don't
0: I don't know. Yeah, um, no, uh, no problem. I, 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 it sounds like they should get your book on Amazon. How to fix your brain?
1: Yeah, no, it's called you you can fix your brain. So you, if you go to the website thedr. dot com, it's right on the front page. And if you click on it there, it'll take you to Amazon or to Barnes and Noble or I think there's five different sites you can go to. But by going through the website, there's a bunch of downloads that you also get that will uh, give you more information. So there's some free down, like um, how, how do you stock your pantry? How, how do you get your pantry gluten-free, dairy-free things like that?
0: Okay, well, very good. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast. and Thank you for coming.
1: Oh, thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure speaking with you.
0: You have been listening to Almost Here, around the corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review to discover more future technologies